Untitled Beatles podcast, TJ Shanoff, the Jobo to Tony's Eddie. Before we kick off this episode, producer Casey, Tony, and I just wanted to thank all of you for your support, for listening, for downloading, for leaving us great reviews on Apple Podcasts, uh, for Discord, for Facebook. We're really grateful that you enjoy what we do because we love doing it and we're so happy other people enjoy it as well. All over the world, which is amazing. Uh, hashtag ELO, hashtag Xanadu soundtrack. I'm not going to do the drop, it's an intro. Today's episode is a deluxe remastered limited edition remix of one of our very first and most raw episodes where Tony and I looked at two classic and overlooked solo George Harrison albums. Uh, This episode was originally recorded in the early days of the pandemic with questionable microphones, no keyboard, no drops, and sadly, no producer Casey. It was before he was born. Uh, One note, this reissue is officially our longest episode to date, and this intro doesn't help. So grab that favorite stuffy, blank it up, put on those nasty slippers you should have tossed years ago, and drink lots of water. Or is that what Fauci wants you to do? Because it's my incredible honor to present to you the historic early sessions from the Gap 2's Embryonic Untitled Beatles podcast. Remember that when, like, when everyone was singing like Joe Cocker for no reason? Read a word, go watch the miles go by. You're on the metro, the way to really fly. The Metropolitan Rail. Yeah, man. Well, hey, yeah, welcome to the Untitled Beatles podcast. I'm Tony Mendoza. Hey, TJ Shanoff with you. We got 10 in a row coming up. Solo Ringo <laughs> from the Bad Boy album next. <laughs> WBMX FM and HD1 Chicago. Chicago's number one for throwbacks. 1043 Jams. An Odyssey Station. Now you can count on me. I'll be there, you'll see. On the stage of the Carnegie Hall. Yeah, man, if we get picked up by the Beatle channel, that's where we'll be sandwiched in there, man. <laughs> Can you imagine? 3 a.m. show on Beatles. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm pro and con Beatles on Sirius XM. It's yeah? like, it's wonderful and it feels like a bunch of bullshit. It's great, but that's what it comes down to. What, what is what it? Is it like a, is it, what, does it feel like a theme park, like the Beatles theme park or something like that to you? It does. It feels like a cheaper version of love in Vegas. Which I have a love-hate relationship with, too. The show is gorgeous. The performers are A-plus performers. And the music's the best of all time. It just feels almost like the anthology. Everything's so neatly packaged. The Beatles weren't always, even when they were neat, they were rough around the edges. Yeah. Warts and all. I thought thought your beef with love was that the bass player was right-handed. That's Beatlemania. <laughs> Mitch Weissman. All right. Mitch Weissman. So, right. That's a whole other episode. Just the movie. No, just Mitch Weissman. The Mitch Weissman episode. <laughs> on an episode that I have and I will say I've got so much stuff to send Tony Mendoza and contact me and I'll send you things too, everybody 
Um, I have a Mitch Weissman guest starred on a 1982 episode of Joni Loves Chachi, the spinoff of Happy Days. Oh, yeah, I remember. The Beatles came to Milwaukee and this random British guy who looked and sounded like Paul McCartney happened to be there, Mitch Weissman. And everyone thought it was Paul McCartney. And he kept trying to convince him it wasn't Paul McCartney. And then he was like, fuck, yeah, I'm Paul McCartney. Sure I have. I love music. I even fiddle around a bit on the bass guitar once in a while. No! Uh, and then at the end, he does a tender original ballad with Scott Baio. And if Man. TV could feel like cocaine in the Reagan era, this episode does. <laughs> I have a Scott Baio LP. It was hard. I tried to put songs on mixtapes as a joke. I no, didn't even work. Anyway, <laughs> and now he's become like he's like the biggest yeah. GOP celebrity. Yeah, he, yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> Charles in charge. All right, but that's not why we're here today, Tony. No, no. Now, TJ, you had me listen to two solo George Harrison records, uh, and uh, so I did. And I have a song by song analysis of them. And I will say this, like I'm a huge Beatle fan. I am a Beatle geek. Um, when it comes to the solo stuff, that's where I kind of taper off. And I, I know John's stuff basically up to, uh, I didn't listen to the 80s stuff that much. So I really know those first five whatever records. Didn't listen to rock and roll so much. But I also didn't, uh, but I didn't really delve into uh, Ringo or George's. And I did a little bit. I was the guy that was, was like, oh, I like Ram and McCartney too. You know, I was that guy. <laughs> of course you were that guy. Dude, temporary secretary has been in the band on the run. If you think about it, you were that dude. She can be a belly dancer. I don't need a true romancer. She can be a diplomat, but I don't need a girl like that. <laughs> Check my machine. Oh, it's better than jet. Right. Yeah. Check my machine. So yeah. So, but these these records mean something to you. Yeah, I, I think I got into the Beatles so young in the late 70s, so 78, 79, I was four going on five years old. And getting into the Beatles, I was getting into the solo stuff concurrently, right? I mean, I didn't really have a framework for John Lennon being alive at five years old. But yeah, when Double Fantasy came out in fall of 80, I was six years old. I was in tune enough to, I knew what it was. I knew the whole thing. So I've kind of, I mean, uh, we named our son after George Harrison. That's kind of how deep yeah. I am. And wow. we've talked about yeah. this, I think, earlier. Like, uh, I've gone, I've been a John guy. I've been a Paul guy. I've been a George guy. And delving into their solo club. I've been a Ringo guy, too. But there's a few, <laughs> like, you Poor can only Ringo. pretend to really love, like, Ringo's Rotogravure and, uh, you know, uh, the Drowning in the Sea. Ringo's got some terrible. Now, he's got some great albums. The self-titled Ringo album is great. comeback album in 91 or 92 called time takes time that is it's just great but we carry the weight the weight of the world is breaking us down on our backs like a ball 
at any rate, I've lived in a lot of the George solo stuff. Our we had a Beatle tribute band at our wedding, Tony, and they learned <laughs> "Blow Away" for us, which is on the oh, album. Oh, yeah. And uh, I would say that of the entire Beatles and solo Beatles catalog, I'm going to drop this hammer right now. That's my favorite song of all time. "Blow Away" by George Harrison is my clear-cut favorite song. guitar the melody it's it's optimistic the minor chords come at the perfect time it resolves so beautifully it ends on that kind of suspended fourth i love the way the song just kind of ends on that ending that old trick so yeah. yeah these are two albums that i've lived in and loved since they came out almost originally and i'm so glad you get a chance now uh, you're gonna hate a lot of both of them and i, I think is my guess hate may be strong you're gonna yeah that's strong yeah and I'm objective enough where I think I'm going to agree with your quibbles, but because they've been with me so long, they feel a little personal. So that's hey, where my well, over-enthusiasm for this shit comes from. <laughs> well, I, I will never mean any offense with any of my stuff. Nothing really offended me that George did. So, okay. oh, I got the wrong one up. Where's my other? Here we go. Self-titled. Uh, yeah. And time permitting, uh, I also have notes for uh, George Harrison Live in Japan. 1991. Oh, we, time is definitely permitting because we got to get to that. With all right, all right. His band, yeah. So self-titled came out in 1979, George Harrison. It was his eighth studio album. And it's it starts off with uh, Love Comes to Everyone. So right off that that production took me somewhere. And it took it, it just it just remind me. So I was four when this record came out. It reminded me of, as it says here, it reminds me of being a kid looking out the backseat window, no seatbelt, and uh, longing it's to go freedom, to- freedom, right? <laughs> Fuck liberals want me to wear a seatbelt now? <laughs> Coming up next, Jews, stay with us. <laughs> Uh, for the record, my parents were Democrats. <laughs> Mine too. So it reminded me of being just in the backseat of my car and passing the Sport Mart, which I just I just wanted to go into that Sport Mart. It was on Roosevelt Road. I just wanted to go to it so bad. Uh, with guitar and keyboard solos that both try to sound like a saxophone over a peaceful, easy Eagles beat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So that's what that song was to me. It's, it's when I when that the first three seconds I was like, this is the Eagles.
Ben Harrison comes in. I like that production. It's dry. It's the drums feel like pillows. It's uh, it's very comforting. You know, it's a very comforting sound. Uh, I think that that's yeah, it is. It's Clapton playing lead and love comes to everyone. Okay, he wanted to play uh, sax on that guitar. <laughs> that's exactly what he was doing. And uh, I, I think uh, Steve Winwood is playing the keyboard on that. Yeah, I read that. I did a little research on this record, and yeah, yeah, he's. Yeah, it's, it's, I like that song. I like that song. Um, it's 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 a nice one. It is the lyrics are not George Harrison's best, but the melody is just this very. The beauty of George Harrison is he made easy and simple melodies have uneasy and unsimple twists. Yeah, There's just some moments in the song that don't feel like George Harrison's songs can be hinky in a beautiful way. Oh That's yeah. Just, the- there was one well yeah i made a, a similar note to one of those one of those songs um well then it comes not guilty not guilty of getting in your way while you're trying to steal the day not guilty and i'm not here for the rest i'm not trying to steal your Sorry for your aging head, but like you heard me said, I'm not guilty. Uh, an oldie, a dusted off obscurity. I don't know if anyone knew this song in 79. I guess it, it probably had been bootlegged, but I don't know. I think a lot of those bootlegs really came out around the early 80s, right? With those uh, John Barrett tapes, I think. Which yeah. kind of went, but yeah, that was from the, uh, I mean, there's an Esher session of it that goes back to the white written in india i think and rejected yeah. for the white album not guilty of getting in your way while you're trying to steal the day not guilty and i'm not before the rest i'm not trying to steal your best yeah after like a hundred and takes a uh, hundred and two takes or something like that so I, my notes on this, I prefer this version. I'll bet it took 200 takes to get it there. <laughs> that was my idea of a joke. I was also a little bit magical. I, the magic kicks in as I was listening to this record. Well, that's what they encourage. In 79, you were supposed to put the heroin needle on right when track two began. <laughs> <laughs> you kind yeah, of I did the soft version. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's it's funny because I like the Beatles version better. This one to me is so soft; it almost feels a bit like like an. And again, I love this album, but if this feels like an a Muzak version of Moon Dance to me is what I've always <laughs> thought of it too. I could see that. I could see that. It might it might be that I've probably heard that Beatles version so many times. That's all. Yeah. So like for me, this is like, oh, fresh. So 
the third song, Here Comes the Moon. So this is what, yeah, you, this is what you were talking about just a minute ago. I wrote Classic George in that chords quickly take a strange, sad turn in a surprising direction. Catchy, restless. And then I wrote the chimes uh, on the fade out. He was late to yoga. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Over those arpeggios. <laughs> Ring. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it it's sounded uh, like, oh shit, I'm late for yoga. I gotta get out of this song. <laughs> oh fuck my mat! I gotta circle back. I want to use another mat. Uh, that, no, it's it's interesting because that one, here comes the moon, is like another sequel, right? Because obviously, one of his three best songs ever is "Here Comes the Sun," right. and he had a sequel to "While My Guitar Gently Weeps." I think on extra texture, maybe Dark Horse. Uh called This Guitar Can't Keep From Crying. That, that was kind of like a cousin to While My Guitar Gently Weeps. And John did it too, right? New York City from sometime in New York City is kind of a sequel to Ballad of John and Yoko. Lyrically, yeah. it's kind of a narrative. This is what I've been doing. Journalism. Kind of this song. Yeah. Down, down to the album cover, yeah. Yeah. So a, a, a Beatles sequel to this song. And obviously you can't compare it to Here Comes the Sun, but it's interesting that I think it always gets boxed into that by virtue of the similar titles. Here comes the moon, the moon, the moon, the moon, the moon. Here comes the moon, the moon, the moon, the moon, the moon. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a cool, I liked it. it was, yeah. I, I like this record overall. It put me, it was just very mellow, you know, it was very mellow. It, um, I found it at least. Um, sofa hearted Hannah, <laughs> soft hearted sofa. Soft hearted Hannah. That's <laughs> a different <laughs> Hannah. <laughs> so, so, so soft hearted Hannah. Uh, I wrote British rodeo clown music with a disturbing <laughs> fade out. <laughs> The conversation and kind of the jaunty, yeah, jaunty yeah, guitar playing, yeah, yeah, with like the tic tac piano and, uh, but then that fade out was so weird. Like, didn't they like very speed it down or something or up? It, it's or, all oh, no, they, they do it like it's Johnny's birthday and all things must pass. It kind of does that and then, yeah, yeah it's. It's a lot of drugs, I think, went into the making of this album. This is a very drug. McCartney did it with London Town a year or so before, where like that kind of late 70s, like the hard drugs are over. We're just like really high on really good weed. You know, like this is just a ton, like that kind of languid. Everyone like every song on London Town's like six minutes in languid. You know, it's like this album's a little bit it languid is the word and i love it but languid is a word i go back to describe this album too everything's a little soft yeah yeah well i read that he was in a comfortable place uh in his life when he made this record and he just he i believe he, he was a newborn uh new father i believe to danny yeah yeah um yeah but that's that's about all i had to say about that song it felt like a throwaway and a kind of a palate cleanser and goof it was a weird song mm-hmm. A lot of weird songs in this one. So Blow Away, right? All right. So I have the hit. This the single off this album, yeah. Yeah. I I love all of it except the wretched Yamaha TX7 intro. In his defense, <laughs> that sound wasn't as horrible in 1979, but it's still such a vile sound. <laughs> uh, 
if used now, yes. In context, disagree. <laughs> given the given the era and the echoing yeah. with the the guitar and keyboards echoing each other is a nice technique too. They have a kind mm-hmm. of a call and response thing there that saves it. Again, the beauty of the genius of the Beatles, it saves and, and if Gary Wright had done that as a solo song or like Steve Winwood, it it would have been drecky. It would have felt like a bad Chicago song. A lot of bad Chicago songs, by the way. Mostly after 83 or 82. <laughs> That album, fucking Chicago 17, every song on it was a single. People would do that. No, I can't afford the album. I'm going to buy every song for $1.99, though. That's more than the album, you idiot. Yeah, but there's a remix of Stay the Night on the single. Why? Uh, Remember that? Like Huey Lewis Sports. I love Huey Lewis Sports, but every song was a 45. Yeah. By the album. Yeah, it's <laughs> these are some. Yeah, these. I mean, yeah, Chicago Seventeen. You you throwing that one out there? <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> but yeah, so th- this song connected with me. I think at about five, six years old. I, I love the. It's one of those. There's a few melodies that have always kind of haunted me. This is one of them. I kind of put in the same box of like another kind of weird cheesy keyboard song. Tune called Only the Lonely by the Motels, not not the Roy Orbison song, but Motels had a song in 81 or 82 called Only the Lonely that had these dark kind of ominous chords that still felt uplifting. Blow Away to me has that kind of, it's weird, right? It's gorgeous, but it's sad. He's He conveys this, he conveys the storm, then he conveys the light, and that's what makes it so beautiful to me. That's what a Beatle does. Nice man, that's good. And you had you Give had the band, <laughs> <laughs> but you had yeah, like you said, you had uh, at, at your wedding the band. You had them play that. We had a Beatle cover band, and they learned it for us. And they actually thanked me afterwards. I I thank them for for nailing that song because my wife loves it too. And they thanked me. They said, "What a joy to learn this." to add this to our repertoire, which I thought was really neat. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a forgotten solo Beatles song. It wasn't a number one hit, but to me it is just as beautiful and as clear as George Harrison ever was on record. All I've got to do is to love you. All I got to do is be happy. All it's going to take is some warmth to make it blow away. It's just, it's especially now it's a, it's a weeper. I'll put that on a weep. I also oh, wow. do that with yeah. the you know cast album of Ragtime, but I, so I've got a few, <laughs> few other issues. Yeah. And then Chicago 18, because it couldn't follow 17. No, they uh, just reissued the 17 <laughs> singles again on 18. Yeah, that's what 18 is. <laughs> All right, I'll buy it. 18 is the singles from 17, <laughs> which is the record. So, yes. Yeah. So, fast, Faster follows. I'm having trouble reading. Oh, uh, but before we move on from that, now, before we get more of the album to go. Do you agree with that as the lead single for this album? Do you think oh, that yeah. was the obvious commercial thing? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when this, when this song came out, I was like, Oh, I, I know this song. I'd forgotten about this song. Like I like this song. So yeah, it was cool. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't see anything else on here that beats that for a single. 
mm-hmm. especially faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, here's what I, here's the, I, my charity for this song is uh, cool to hear something rhythmic in the guitar. Not sure we need 30 seconds of Formula One racers at the <laughs> beginning of it. The sound effects. Yeah. It's 30 seconds, like five <laughs> seconds. Great. 30 room, room, room. Come on, man. Is this about to be faster or is the Speed Racer theme song coming up on my, uh, yeah. on my shuffle? Go Speed Racer, go Speed Racer. Go speed racer, go! Yeah, man. I mean, yeah. Twenty percent of that song is sound effects, and then <laughs> uh, not my favorite, but yeah. Like I said, that chorus had like a cool. You never hear Harrison do kind of like chugga chugga stuff or anything. Like, so it was just cool to hear. And maybe that was Clapton. I don't know, but it was cool to hear that. And it's got some weird time signature shifts in there too. There's a couple moments that are unsuspected, but we can say it about every song. He he adorns these otherwise easy songs with enough cool shit to make you want to listen. Like it's not that song is another one that in lesser hands would be like, this sucks. But George is <laughs> still married and it's interesting and it's melodic. Those harmonies, he's a master of going faster. Those stacked harmonies on there just beautiful. Yeah, man, you know your Harrison. So yeah, yeah. his I, wife I, held back her fears. <laughs> like okay, we get it. Generally, it, it's like when Earnhardt Jr. died. It's like. Oh my God! How did somebody going 200 miles an hour die? <laughs> I get I know. it. And when Amelia Earhart Jr. died too. <laughs> uh, I don't have much to say about that other than what I said. Next up is uh, "Dark Sweet Lady," written for Olivia. So. I wrote, uh, so this is, I, I was a bit magical when this song came on. I wrote, uh, by putting Were you flying? A, <laughs> I was kind of flying here. Uh, by putting a phaser effect on the, on the Wiro, that, uh, percussion instrument. George Harrison makes it okay to like Jimmy Buffett style rock and roll. What a great way to put it. Yeah, those it, yeah. And the, the harp plucking do 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 do. It's just such a beautiful. I think it's a harp. I don't know. I'm magical every time I've heard it since the eighties ended. Uh, it's just it's a beautiful song. It's almost it's always felt like his fusion of and I love her and if I fell. It's yeah okay yeah. It's funny. I was I just I just saw like beach blue drinks flip flops. <laughs> That's what that song took me. So. 
Your bed sugar. I like mine with lettuce and tomato. 157 Oh, Buffett. <laughs> If you hate Jimmy Buffett, you'll hate Jimmy Buffett, the musical. Remember that? They had a Jimmy Buffett musical for a while. It's like, why? No, I don't remember. I blocked that out. I I went to a Jimmy Buffett concert, one, in like 96 or 97 in Tinley Park, I think. I swear I saw a baby with a joint in its mouth. I I mean, (laughs) Buffett show is just a whole other... (laughs) If if you don't know what to do during Finn's, like, hide. You got Finn's to the left. Yeah, you're speaking some language, man. Like, I don't even know what it is. <laughs> I'm not a parrot head. All of these parrot heads covered with oil. Look at you. Uh, oh, it's like D&D parrot heads speak. <laughs> you're, not, you're not retired living in Jacksonville and donating your life savings to Trump and not leaving any for your kids? <laughs> That's what a parrot head is in 2020. I, I just uh, went to one show. <laughs> But I do believe in trickle-down economics. Okay, no, I don't. <laughs> uh, he follows that up with, your love is forever. Then like winter came and went, your love is forever. Feeling in my heart, those that we share it together. Um, I wrote, if Three's Company were an hour-long drama... <laughs> This album took me places, TJ. <laughs> oh, buddy. I got to get a hold of that L.A. weed. Chicago <laughs> weed is for pussies. What is going on in L.A.? I love L.A. It's another one. We're like, why are you yelling, Randy Newman? I get it. Yeah. And why'd you have those brutes do the, do the, we love it. It sounded we like they were going to catch up to me and beat the crap out of me. <laughs> You know, I love Randy Newman, but you can't like every song from Toy Story. It's the same song. You're my friend. I'm your toy. It's he's got this thing where it's yeah. like you get it. Friend, toy, scream. Okay, Randy. Yeah, it's that Martin Short character that wrote the same. Give me a C, a bouncy C. Just, Ir- Irving Cohen was. Irving Cohen. <laughs> he writes that. Writes a song. Everything in bouncy C. Give me a C, a bouncy C. The fella sitting right here next to me. He started out nice, then he slipped on thin ice, then he split from Marlin. Now he has to pay the price. Oh, William B. Oh, William B. Da di da di did. And whatever the hell you want to put in. <laughs> Irving Cohen! <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I thought of that one. Uh, okay, agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Soft touch. So this was uh, Keltner's, uh, his drummer's nickname for. for for generous George called him the soft touch man. All I wrote was I like the organ Winwood. <laughs> that might be Gary, Wright. Let's look at the album. Oh yeah. Okay. Weaver. Let's see. I, I might be wrong here. No, Gary Wright's playing on if you believe, which is a great one. We'll get to. Yeah. Soft touch to me is fine. It feels like filler. It's cool. And I don't really have much to say about it. Uh, if you believe now I wrote pleasing and pretty this album was created in a period of contentment and really shows in the feel of this song 
yeah this this reminds me it just sounds like he's just in his groovy house or wherever by i don't know where was he in like malibu at this point or was he back in i don't know if he was in hawaii at the time oh wow i'm not sure i think because i think that's where soft-hearted hannah came from i think that's a hawaiian reference really yeah okay man (laughs) that song got even weirder (laughs) right i didn't get luau from that (laughs) speaking of buffett yeah. Why don't we get drunk? You're a baby. And screw. Get the joint out of your mouth. Somebody get this kid a bottle and some medical attention. Um, <laughs> and a cheeseburger for Christ. <laughs> right, right. Uh, I do. It's the only Jimmy Buffett Cheeseburger in Paradise, the only popular pop rock song with the word kosher in it, I think. <laughs> Me and kosher pickle in it. All right. Buffett loves the Jews. His manager obviously convinced him to do it. Jimmy loved the song, but what's a pickle if it's not kosher? Um, I want another 18%. I'm allowed to make those jokes. Let me make that clear. Um, I think if you believe to me, sounds like it could have gone on um, living in the material world or even all things must pass. It feels, to your point, of that celebratory, joyful, life is great. I I believe in in a larger thing. It's I it if that's like a classic seventies solo George Harrison tune to me. Yeah, that was a good one. I liked it. And then it oh, and then they had the on my version here the two demos. Uh, here comes the moon demo. Uh, I like this version. You can really hear the influence of all things must pass. So I learned that while he was making this record, he listened to all things this uh, must pass a lot too. He was trying to tap into that spirit, I think. And you really hear it on these demos at the end that were reminiscent of the demos for All Things Must Pass. There's just the same quality going on in the playing and even some of the chord journeys. Yeah, it was, it was cool. demo is really nice i love that yeah i said i definitely prefer this version for some reason i you know why because i like that mrk2 uh drum drum machine that was all over sly and the family stone uh there's a riot going on There's something about that sound that I find very pleasing because probably like I had a friend that had an organ and we would, and this is in the eighties and we would play the beats trying to make run DMC music, but all you end up was getting that, that Samba beat or whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I love that sound. Anyway, the blow away demo, I really love All I got to You know, it's uh, I love it too. That was uh, revelatory for me when the uh, CDs were re- reissued and remastered and streamed in oh whatever oh four oh five when these albums came back out again. I hadn't heard it before. I love it. I think one of the things I love so much about the original version, and we haven't we didn't discuss this, is the kind of bridge 
guitar solo right before the final chorus is so unexpected and it's such great George slide playing. Yeah. His it's, you know, it, it feels both understated and perfectly dramatic. That's what I've always loved about it. Yeah. His slide playing is great. Yeah. He, yeah. I love the emotion he's able like, it's also a very contained emotion or uh, it's a, I don't know. He's able to express himself without having like, I love destruction and all that stuff, Townsend and punk rock, et cetera. But what he's able to express by not getting into the red and, and, you know, whatever, trying to break your ears and your mind with things. I'm just saying he's able to tell it more lyrically, I think is what I'm trying to say. It's, I think there's always that element of Carl Perkins in all of his guitar playing that just feels sparse and appropriate and just rocking enough and just mellow enough. That's one of the things I've always loved about his playing. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's a good record. Yeah, so man. overall, I love. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Thank you for uh, selecting that one. I'm I'm thrilled because it's one of my all time favorites. How is it? Okay, it's 2020. They came out in '79. Yeah. You no, know, some albums age better than others. I mean, it's obviously it's not remembered in the same caliber as All Things Must Pass. Some people kind of put it at like three or four in their Harrison list. But how do you think it's remembered, and how do you think it deserves to be remembered amongst the Be- the Beatle groups? Well, I mean, not knowing that much about the George's solo output, uh, it sounded like a good record. I, um, I've basically listened to All Things Must Pass and this record, and that's really about it other than the hits I've heard over the years. So I liked it. The, so the production itself is definitely of its time. It's 19, it was recorded in 78, and you can just feel it. It's just in its bones, that sound. So, I mean, that the rumor still sounds you know what I mean? Like how it does. And that's a classic. So, um, before we move on from that, one thing sure. that's in the tragedy of not, I mean, vinyls come back, but for two generations, vinyl was not the predominant thing as a weird kind of Beatles label guy. I have <laughs> loved and It came back. The dark horse label is one of the most underrated labels in music. Yeah. That logo is amazing too. Just, I love it. Badass. That's and, cool. Uh, it was, I think, uh, Dark Horse was George's label. I know distributed by Warner Brothers, but I think originally there was a deal with A&M. And just oh. now Dark Horse has kind of come back with Danny and Olivia. Oh, now by EMI. And he, it's sad. There's two record labels, but there's still the thousand names. Like everything's either Sony or Universal or Warner Brothers right now. It's all yeah, it's bonkers. shit, which is weird. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what actually bothers me. And again, the Beatles, God bless them, solo and especially as a band, they're commercial as hell. I've never begrudged them for, but you can't argue that they weren't commercial and marketed the shit out of themselves. So I get it. But the red and blue albums, when they were reissued on vinyl in 2014, 2015, have the have the universal logo on them because EMI is owned by Universal. And there's something that just feels strange about seeing the universal logo on a Beatles record. That's and, yeah, man. That is a detail. That's some forensics, weird. man. That's your beetle. Weird. <laughs> That's what I know. Beetle forensics. I, I I can't tell you when Stu Sutcliffe died. <laughs> I can tell you about all the labels. I got a weird label thing. Oh yes. I 
label people, Tony. Here's how I label you. Oh, let's hear it. <laughs> you review me. The second half is TJ reviews me. You know, All Tony, right, give it to thoughts. me. Number one, you're trying hard, and I respect that. Trying is a good part of it. Uh, and then, so then you had me listen to uh, George Harrison live, 1991, live in Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, with Eric Clapton yeah. and his band. Right, right. So it's I was like reticent. The original to pressing of it. Oh, that's an original. Yeah, man. Yeah. And I know that. Uh, so to me, I just heard live band and Eric Clapton in uh, 1991. And I just was like, okay, all right. And uh, anyway. I, I was I was pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised. But I will I will voice all my uh, beefs. <laughs> Let's welcome to voice your beefs. We're gonna go over every great fucking beef in the Chicagoland area. We're staking out beef flavors throughout the windy city of Chicago. Next stop, Al's number one Italian beef. What makes it Italian? The spices. The spices. So it's the Italian spices that Italian go in the meat. Italian spices that go in the meat. The garlic. It was a creation in Chicago by my grandfather, actually. What's the kind of meat that you It's eat? called a sir butt or a top butt. I said what what in the butt. Voice the... <laughs> That's my Wendy's. That was my Leo Burnett. <laughs> Wendy's, if you're listening, we could be your spokespeople. Hey, Wendy just signed these two mid to late 40-year-old white dudes. Why the beef? Yeah, for no reason. No reason. So let's, um, again, love this album. To me, this album is because it came out when I was, I think, a senior in high school. I lived in this album. Like everybody else, I think it was... I right around in, when in, in utero came out, like my college roommate was just listening like in utero and like dinosaur junior and, sure. and a lot of p- and pavement, all of which I eventually got into, but I'm like, yeah, I get it. But have you heard Clapton and Harrison live in Japan and <laughs> McCartney's off the ground is pretty legit. <laughs> and this is why I didn't get late. So I loved, uh, I've loved this album for a long time too. And it's got its faults and its shortcomings. It's very glossy as a whole, but, it's a concert I dreamed of going to that I never went to. We talked about this a little, I think, last week. George Harrison was recruited by Clapton and said, you got to go out on tour. Cloud Nine from two, three years before with Got My Mind Set On You when we was fab, all that stuff, was the biggest hit any Beatle had had in the decade. And Harrison, yeah. after the then the first Wilburys album, too, Her- right, Clapton right. basically said, you got to get out on the road. you got to go play. If not, McCartney just went out. Look at all the money he made. And Harrison said, I'm not so sure. And Clapton said, let's play Japan. It doesn't have the same glaring press and the same Europe and USA bullshit attached to it. It's a safe environment. Yeah, quieter. Quieter. Clapton's band learned everything. Harrison was in. By all accounts, Harrison loved it and said, I'm good. Don't need to do it around the world or in the USA. Yeah, man. So that's the, kind of the context to this this tour and this record. Well, it starts off with uh, a, a deep cut for people, usually. Uh, the Beatles, I want to tell you. Um, so here are my notes. Uh, 15 seconds of audience fade up. Don't need that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dear editor. <laughs> I want to tell you My head is 
you know, you know that we, what's that weird chord? There's that discordant chord in uh, this song. It's all right. You know what I'm talking about? Did you ever Under, remember if, first... I, if, if I seem to act unkind? No, no. Like when it goes from major to minor, I love that. No, it's 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 in the it's in the verse, and it's so it's. I want to tell you, my head is filled with things to say. Yeah, dissonant. It's dissonance. The first yeah. time I ever heard that song, I was in like an eighth grade or something. But I was like, oh, it sounded like the song broke, and it was like. Anyway, I loved that part of the song. And so anyway, I, my note is that the funny note is up in the mix. Nice. Mm-hmm. Wish there were less singers. I don't like all the, I don't like the, all the background singers. God love them. I'm glad you're working. I don't need, it's, put the mic down. It, it gives it a Vegasy type sheen. Yeah. It's got that's a that sheen. Yeah. Effect. yeah. Yeah. So I could, and this is also the, around the same era when the who went back on tour. And that was when I got into the who in 89 and when they did Tommy and stuff and I was like like I wanted to see live at Leeds instead it's Tom it's you know Townsend's playing an acoustic and there's 17 people on stage and there's 20 singers and you're like okay I kind of liked it when it was just that three instruments and a guy whipping a microphone around So, yeah, anyway, blah, blah, blah. So, and this is the first song. So I, you know, I'm taking it all in. This is what I'm hearing as I'm listening to this record. Uh, I wish there were less singers. The beat is too straight. I felt that the, whoever was drumming was just too, he needed to warm up a little more. He's too stiff. Uh, I like the weird first solo, which I, I, it felt like a George solo. I think I it's George then Clapton in the second solo, I think. Yeah, I wrote, I don't like the other solos. <laughs> So let's let's put a pin in this for a second. And okay. where are you with Clapton in general, but especially this era Clapton? Where are you with Eric? Are you Clapton as God or fuck Clapton or somewhere in oh. between, Tony? Well, all right. I like I like I liked Cream a lot. I kind of liked I liked his stuff in the Yardbirds. I thought it was weird that he left the Yardbirds when they went pop. Um to do the blues stuff. I like uh I like um Bell Ball and Blues, that record, Derek and the Dominoes. Um, yeah. And, um, I, I didn't really listen to blind faith. Was he even in that? I forget. He was in that, right? He was. He okay. Was, yeah. So I didn't really get into that. And then I, yeah, I don't like that song cocaine. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I kind of like that after midnight song. Kind of, you don't like, you don't like, you don't like cocaine. And which after midnight are you <laughs> early after midnight or fucking Michelob light after midnight? Oh, Cause that made me mad. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. He was in recovery at the time. <laughs> Come on, guy. No, I like the upbeat one. I like the, like it sounds yeah. like the 70s one. No, I, so I'm I, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty like I don't I've never other than Cream, I've never put on an Eric Clapton record on purpose. I don't even think I own any, so he's not my bag, man. <laughs> I love Cream, but I like Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker, you know what I mean? Sure. Oh yeah. Uh I am, I got a weird soft spot for shitty Clapton. Yeah. His album Slow Hand from, I think, the one that had cocaine on it, also Wonderful Tonight, 
has, I believe, one of the best rock singles of the 70s, one of the best mastered singles, one of the best groove in the pocket singles. I am a fucking laid down Sally apologist. I think, that, I think that groove, it just kind of chugs in a way that I, I can't explain it, man. I, I love laid down Sally. There is nothing that is, it's just, it's got like, it's just, it's almost Ringo-esque is that it's, a, it's under tempo, but not sluggish. I know you've got somewhere to go. Won't you make yourself at home and stay with me? And don't you ever leave? Lay down, Sally, and rest here in my arms. Don't you think you want someone to talk to? Yeah. It's kind of in its own pocket, but... So when this was going on, I was really into a Clapton comeback album called Journeyman from, I think, 89 or 90. That era, we could do a whole podcast on how The Who, The Stones, McCartney, Clapton, and then a a year or two later, George Harrison, and I think some iteration of Pink Floyd were all out on the road. And it was the big kind of comeback, the last gasp of the 80s, when all the classic rock acts kind of got their shit together and said, we can make a ton of money. And that's also the era of the Rolling Stones are back on tour. Brought to you by by Macy's at American (laughs) Express. It became like an NBA game, you know. But in fairness, that's, they all, the Who did it too, that that was the 20th anniversary. Was that? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly eighty nine ish. Yeah, yeah. So that Clapton, Clapton album, I saw him. I was actually this is a weird little interjection here. Me and one of my very best friends to this day, and a few other kids who went to high school with, went to see the show at uh, Alpine Valley where Stevie Ray Vaughan was killed. Immediately oh, right. after the show, we we were there, and driving home that night, I'm pretty sure it was XRT reported initially that Clapton had been killed. Oh, they were on crazy. a helicopter together. I went to bed that night in summer of 10th grade, I think, believing everyone we saw was killed. I mean, it didn't make it any easier that Steve Ray Vaughn died. He was just remarkable. Right, right. But the finale of that show in 90 was wow. Buddy, Buddy, Buddy Guy, Robert Cray, Clapton, and Steve Ray Vaughn. thing in real time was I loved the band that toured this album I saw a couple times um, so I give them a little more credit we talked about Chuck Lavelle the keyboard player for the Allman Brothers he's in this band yeah. Greg Philanges is playing piano in this so won't you please welcome Mr. Greg Philanges it's a crack band but it suffers <laughs> from a bit being too Vegas type crack band is not always a compliment How's that sound? yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crack bed. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I'll finish my notes for this song, TJ. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I went off. I apologize. No, no. I thought it'd be funny because my next note is another round of solos. <laughs> this song got a little inflated. Like I like my Beatles songs 226 or whatever. This got into like 347. 
because of right. solos. Like, oh, I want to tell you with my guitar again. Anyway. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Old brown shoe, I put exclamation point in parentheses. And that's, yes, got the beat right. The bass part was totally right. The choppy piano bit. It's great. I, I mean, I love this song to begin with. great except for the showbiz at the very end <laughs> do, do, uh, do, do, uh. it ends on that chord that chord makes me yeah and as a musical theater guy i hate it and i love it <laughs> <laughs> I've long said this album could be George Harrison colon the musical. <laughs> the way it got my mind set on you ends act one and here comes the sun begins act two. It's like, or cloud nine begins act two. It's like, oh yeah, it makes sense. <laughs> do, do, uh, it's like yeah. go choir that you have to say you like, but don't like. Yeah, that's exactly it. Other than that. Yeah. So I was, I was way impressed with the song list. I didn't even think like the, the set list is great. It's just, uh, it's fabulous. So Taxman is third. Pyrotechnic version of a guitar solo is my note on that. Yeah, third verse rewrite. <laughs> okay, right, all right. So this is the one where they they rewrote. They added an extra verse, right? Or no, they changed the verse. Anyway, third verse. They'd say Boris Yeltsin, I believe. And uh oh, Mr. Bush. Mr. Bush. <laughs> Mr. Bush. <laughs> Makes you wonder if Billy Joel has to update We Didn't Start the Fire every few months. <laughs> Please. It'll keep him busy at the very least. He'll get off his motorcycle, go and get shit-faced and bang into stuff. You won't start thinking anybody wants to hear Zanzibar in concert. We don't want to hear it, Billy. You're not Steely Dan. Don't play Zanzibar. <laughs> But yeah. I love when you yeah, I love it when you go off on on these uh peripheral artists. <laughs> because during the pandemic and before, I'm losing my mind. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love uh -huh. it. Um what else did I say here? Uh, extra unnecessary solo and then I wrote hang gliding. 
which I, I think that's what the solo was conveying to me, like <laughs> either written while hang gliding or just, <laughs> but yeah, more solos. It's always like solos and ah, I can't stand that bloated stuff. I loved about it though. I love how they start with the original intro from the album and then kind of count it off and kick right into it. It's kind of the beginning's a neat moment. Oh, yeah. I liked it. It's just one. Yeah. I I liked it. I liked it. I just wish, just don't, you don't need to do that other solo that's not on the, you know. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) You're a traditionalist. You like it that it was recorded. Well, maybe, maybe. In this case, yes. Yeah, in this case, yes. I don't okay. mind some extended live things. It, it's got to be good, though. It's got to be good. This is, to me, just like, look at me play. You know? I don't know. Dude, you got to hear the fish cover of Ride, Captain Ride. It's 26 <laughs> minutes. Ride, Captain Ride, upon your Nice. They started in 98. It hasn't ended. That's a great song. Blues Magic? Who did that song? Blues, something blues. Blues Incorporated? What the fuck did Ride, Captain Ride? It might have been that. I think you're right. Stop! Blues. Image. When I worked radio, that song was, we couldn't get it on CD, so it was on a cart. We said, yeah. That and uh, the Morena, what was his name? Uh, 80s song. Anyway, I can't remember it. One Hit Wonder and it was a guy. Ken, anyway, ah! I'll figure it out. <laughs> Edit it in. God damn it. Frank Marino. Fucking Frank Marino. Okay. All right. All right. I'm glad we took that intersection. This is Pat Travers. My name is Joe Bonamassa. And we're talking about Frank Marino. Frank Marino. <laughs> all right. I've said, I've said too much about Taxman. Do you have anything else? Right. No, it's, it, it's cool that the first song of Revolver is the third song on this album. I, the first three songs of this are great. It's an inspired. Yeah. He didn't start with one of the classics. He went with relative deep cuts, and I love. Yeah, it. yeah, totally cool. Yeah. Um, give me love was next. Give me love. I wrote, is this song impervious to the bloated guitar god solo? <laughs> I was I was writing that as it was happening. I was really hoping and it did I think it did. It prevailed. It didn't get like yeah. an unnecessary solo. There, and there's, there's solos there's on a that. Nice playing at the end. There's on the coda, there's beautiful playing. Yeah. So I don't I don't begrudge that, you know what I mean? If it fits the song, like I love this I love those solos on that song that are on the slide and George, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I like that one. That was that's a great song. I'll step out and say it's one of the only songs on the album. There's one more, I think one more, two more that improve upon the original recording. I think yeah. this version of "Give Me Love" is my definitive. There's an energy and a spark to it that makes it feel more alive than that studio one from '73. I think '73. That's cool, man. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, if I needed someone, again, kind of digging out the Beatles uh, mid-period, obscure one. So uh, they do a good job of getting the same guitar sounds as the record, uh, especially here with the 12-string, the bird sound. I wrote, but, and then, of course, <laughs> Bud Light guitar solo. <laughs> playing some of don't get around much anymore so listen again yeah. it's like is he copping that who's playing I, I should know this whoever's playing bass on this is some of my on clapton's longtime bass player from that era his bass line in this song and he does a little kind of noodling in the intro that is That's just cool. dramatic and wonderful um yeah i, I don't begrudge the yeah. bass player anything on this record yeah i wonder who did that uh, Nathan East, who was in Clapton's band for a long time. That's and cool. um, he ends so many songs on the third. He has this ending that's fascinating me. He did this on the Clapton's got a live album in this era called 24 Nights that he did with like an orchestra and a blitz, like all the Clapton bells and whistles in the era. So I've heard us playing a lot, and he has a lot of these kind of trills that end on. Do, 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 do. <laughs> like if you're in D, it ends on, on F sharp and it's just like a cool, like, okay. Yeah. Not resting on the laurels of the tonic. That's my music class I teach online. Don't rest <laughs> on your tonic laurels. But yeah. it's true, it, it, it keeps things alive. There, there's an energy and a bounce that, feels both accomplished and different nice yeah all right i've been drinking all day <laughs> fucking quarantine i have a four-year-old i gotta get back oh. in shape. <laughs> so go well, on next up is something and i, I mm -hmm. so i i say i have nothing to say about this version of something i've got nothing to say but it's okay but it's this good I like, I like the song it's all right it's I probably definitely like the original better. I didn't, ha like I said, I have nothing, I had nothing to say about it. This to me is the most egregious Vegas example. And <laughs> George even throws a Sinatra reference in when he goes, you stick around Jack. It may show. <laughs> A little like within you, without you, the laughter at the end, it's a tongue in cheek moment, but it doesn't make it any more palatable.
Yeah. This one that, frustrates me. Yeah, that one. It's hard. It's also been covered a billion times. It's like up there with what is it? Yesterday is like the most covered Beatles song. Um, anyway, so uh, it doesn't matter. I wrote notes. Starts with a guitar solo. Synths. Those are the two somethings I came up with. Okay. So, all right. So then it's followed by uh, What is Life? Uh, the, the fuzz guitar is more prominent. I like it. It's like a musical fly buzzing around with its own syndicated TV show. So I'm, I'm high. I'm high listening. <laughs> yes, we all are. And uh, I said there's a lot of joy in this number. I like this song. It's a great song. What I feel I can't say My love is up for you any time of day It's my love that you It's a great song. I mean, it actually does a decent job replicating the All Things Must Pass. It, it rocks pretty hard. Yeah. It's the, the musicianship's great. I don't mind the background singers because it's very Phil Spector reminiscent. Yeah. So you can forgive it in this because all the Phil Spector stuff was overproduced anyway. Uh, yeah, this is a huge highlight of the album. Totally. Uh, then it goes into Dark Horse. I wrote I wasn't familiar with this one. As familiar. Interesting changes into the chorus. Sounds like a Dylan song in the verse. It's a weird song in a good way, is what I wrote. Yeah, that's that a weird song. That flute solo that's done <laughs> keyboard in this, you know, that song was controversial because that was the song to promote his tour in, I think, 74, where his voice was shot. So all the irony of singing the song Dark Horse, terrible album of the same name. Terrible is a stretch, but not George Harrison's finest album. Yeah. Um, uh, and this is another one that the live version improves upon the original because he's in better voice for it. The band's more spirited. The song doesn't sound as dour or forced when done live. There's air to it. It breathes. I'm a dog. Yeah, I'll have to give. So I haven't. I don't think I've given Dark Horse a proper spin. I think I've listened to all those, all his records, but while on road trips and stuff, and I may have been not listening. So, but then, so then in the live record, back to that, he goes to Piggies. Uh, pretty true to the arrangement. I wrote ex exclamatorily, Piggy. Oh, I wrote down Piggy pranks, Piggy banks, Piggy Piggy thanks. So I think he added a verse. Uh, <laughs> It must have been weird to hear this song live. It's a weird song. <laughs> it's another one that like on the Beatles mixer playlist thing, 
like love it on side two of the white album, but how often are you just individually seeking out piggies? No, never. Not my favorite from that record. <laughs> um, and, and it's, yeah. it's a bit of a ham fisted ending. They, that one more time, bum, 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 bum. They really play for all it's worth. One more time. Yeah. I know progression it makes sense, but you got to acknowledge they're 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 trying to hit a grand slam with that ending. They're swinging <laughs> for the fences. You're right, man. You're right, and and the song is for, honestly it's a it's a double for George, really. <laughs> it's a double. Yeah, it's a double. Yeah, lucky. It should have been a single, but he but he beat it out. It's a double. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Beatles baseball metaphors here on AAA Radio. No baseball, so we'll. Play. Yeah, Neil Aspinall overthrew the ball to Mal Evans, and <laughs> and Piggy's got to second. <laughs> I think we just read a children's book. I think we did. Oh, yeah, man. All right. So then, uh, got my mind set on you. I should hate this song, but I've never hated this song. That's what I'm telling myself. Yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know why I like this song so much, but uh, does this song sound more 50s than the original, except for the Michael J. Fox guitar solo? All right, guys, uh, listen to the blues riff and B. Watch me for the changes and try and keep up, okay? Okay, I guess you guys aren't ready for that yet. But your kids are going to love it. Here's, here's how stupid I feel. I had no idea this was a cover. Yeah. I thought this was a Harrison. Ru- Rudy Ru- Clark. I think Rudy Clark is his name. Yeah. I guess it was some, something obscure. Um, and I still have yet to hear the original. So I'm looking forward to uh, probably doing that after this program. I've got my mom's has a bridge i only discovered it about five six years ago and there's a whole other bridge that george left out of it i think the thing being george remembered it versus going back to listen to it to get it right right straight that whole cloud nine album maybe we can get into that one day that was it, he had a comeback that was unbelievable that whole 87 through 88 george harrison was as relevant as duran duran and debbie gibbs i mean I, I i'm not trying to compare him to pop bullshit but he was topping the charts in his early 40s in the 80s i mean it's yeah it's outrageous so uh I love this version of it. I think the end to me sounds like the end of act one of a musical. If there is George Harrison, the musical ends with, they do that halftime ending 
And it just, it, that kind of staggered, almost gospel ending that just kind of feels like the, a curtain coming down. And that's both a compliment to the energy and kind of a diss that a Beatles doing a musical theater trick to end <laughs> part of his concert said. I got my Because it was after that song that Clapton then took over for four songs with just him and his band, George Rested. So Government Set On You was George's finale for act one of the show. Then Clapton oh, took okay. over. George came back. That's cool. Yeah, I like it. I like that song. I like this version. It was cool. Yeah, me too. Um, all right, then act two begins with Cloud Nine. Same album. I wrote, if a snake decided to play a guitar solo. <laughs> that was my note for that song. You mean like Steven Mnuchin, or you mean like a real fucking, like a ground snake? Like, <laughs> like Steven <a>, Mnuchin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I mean like a slithery, slimy uh, cobra, like Steven Mnuchin. Like Steve Mnuchin. <laughs> well, we're really going after Trump appointees hard on this show. <laughs> Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Fuck him. But that's all I had to say about that. Was yeah. I didn't. I did not come to this show for that song. (laughs) Not one of his best songs from the album of the same name. Yeah. Um, Then here comes the sun. I wrote it's all right. It's a good song. So beautifully done. I get that. That one will make me cry. That version. Yeah. That version. The audience response on the opening notes is 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 kind of just forever places George in time as being one of the most relevant songwriters, right? That a whole what 30, 40,000 Japanese concert goers hear the opening notes and go, "Oh, it just it's it gets mm-hmm. me every time." Get that they're in Japan. Honestly, when I was listening to this record, I keep forgetting that's where they were. That's cool. Yeah. Um, goes into My Sweet Lord. Oh, yeah. This is the version where he is riffing at the end on all the different Krishna chants. Rama, 
It was almost like his answer to John's God with the, I don't believe in Beatles. I don't believe in Zimmerman. Uh, this is like his positive version of what he, all the things he does believe, I think. <laughs> or at least it's pro, you know what I'm saying. And this is, yes, and this is another one where the backing vocals, again, and All Things Must Pass track, the ba- the hallelujah, those choruses there, it's the backing vocals make sense. It complements it because it was overproduced to begin with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I would love to I would love to hear an all, a remix to All Things Must Pass, like just less treble, more bass. Yeah, well, that's when they've struggled to remaster a, a hundred times, right? Yeah. Like the Layla album has been reissued six times. It's hard. It was so thick. How do you remaster that? That Phil Spector wall of sound on all these must pass. I'd love like a stripped down version of it. Yeah, me too. Uh, all those years ago, I do. I like this song. It's a great song. That's from cloud nine, right? That's somewhere in England. That's from 81. Oh, all those years was- ago is, yeah, that was the one that George wrote for Ringo. Then George kept himself, rewrote the lyrics after John died. Yeah. Ringo's playing drums and Paul and Linda are doing the backup vocals with Denny Lane. That's right, yeah. Yeah, I like that. I've always liked that song. Uh, also, same with the next song, "Cheer Down," one of my favorites. I love the. I, I wrote. I like these solos. <laughs> yeah, they make sense. Well, because they feel part of their time. Uh, "Cheer Down" is uh, from Lethal Weapon Two. That was the single from the movie. It played over the end credits. <laughs> That's right. He was doing these one-off soundtracks in the eighties yeah. and stuff. Yeah. He covered That's a cool. Dylan song for Porky's Revenge. He, he did I Don't Want to Do It, an unreleased Bob Dylan song. That Porky's Revenge soundtrack is Dave Edmonds, Chris Speeding, George Harrison. It's like a classic rock, rockabilly, cocaine fest. I'll send it to you. It's a great album. I had no idea. So, yeah. Yeah. 80s, I drop out a little bit. Uh, Yeah. So, I I don't know. I'm not an encyclopedia with that. You and me, buddy. (laughs) You're going to teach me a lot of shit, and I'm going to teach you a lot of shit. I love it. Uh, Next up is Devil's Radio. And I wrote, did he say, don't be a gossiper? (laughs) The chorus of the song goes, gossip, gossip, gossip. Gossip. Oh, yeah. It ain't all things must pass, George. A notable omission from this album, by the way. So funny. What a a wild one to pick to throw in there. I guess you got to, yeah, you got to keep yourself happy to as a player and it almost feels like a cousin to tax man 
Yeah, I he's, suppose. He's bitching about stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of bookended that way on the... It's like the fourth from the last. Yeah. Well, third from the last, I'm sure, rollover. It was a... What do you, what do you call it? Encore. Mm-hmm. Um, isn't it a pity? Good moments, but the solo got too clitty. <laughs> Now, now that I wrote, ask you to expand on. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Because I wrote another line. I said, like a guy overworking a clitoris. <laughs> we are looking at how to pronounce this word, both in British English and in American English, as the two pronunciations differ. In British English, this is normally pronounced as clitoris. Clitoris. In American English, however... This is usually said as clitoris, clitoris in American English versus clitoris in British English. Did you get it? Did you hear the difference? Was this any helpful? Let me know in the comments. (laughs) So I think I liked wherever the solo went and then it got a little too like... Or something, you know. <laughs> uh, we should acknowledge we also used to work both of us for second clinic. So we've we've had some experience with Yeah, one um, was enough. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets a little and even though they do the kind of hey you na 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 thing in the original, it feels buried in this it feels like a showpiece. This is when Paul, I've seen Paul McCartney way too many times to admit, Tony, and I've never been comfortable with, all right, just the ladies. Nah, nah, not just the people who are in the middle. That's a hard thing for me. And they cop some of that here, but it kind of works because it's in this live communal setting. That build at the end could be cheesy, but I feel like it works because we're in concert. We get that leeway. Yeah. With George, it feels more like church than showbiz. Yeah. Yeah. That's well put. Well, the people on the other side. And uh, so while my guitar gently weeps, really good version, exclamation point. Mm-hmm. Might be my favorite after the original. I believe these solos. These guitar solos, I believe. <laughs> well, because how magical to have George and Eric playing together. They did that on the White Album track. And... By this point in 89, 90, 91, this era, two people who played in the Beatles track together didn't happen very often. It was really these two guys, Paul and George Martin, uh, Ringo and Billy Preston on Ringo's tours. There wasn't a right, lot. Right. Of, this is before Paul and Ringo were playing together live. They did tug of war and some studio stuff, but there was magic to hearing, I can imagine being in the same room with Eric Clapton and George Harrison playing while well, Michael George only leaves live. Must have been magic. I look at you all. 
that. That was I really like that version. Yeah. Um, and then we have good roll over Beethoven. We, roll over Beethoven. Uh, this one was performed by the Showbiz Pizza Band. <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I, I could, I imagine myself on a mechanical bull. That was Sally stage, but anyway, uh. Sally stage. Yes. Sally stage dingbats. I'll go. We'll, we'll go deep on all this Chicago also, weird shit. This to me, like I, I would have been more than happy with the album ending at guitar, while my guitar gently weeps. We throw in the encore. I get, I get it. I get it. But I, I never like these 50s revival things. I, I just prefer the original. That's me. That's all. Well, if, if I'm, because I agree with you, I believe it is one of the weakest points of the album. I got a The one that was on uh, with the Beatles, but what I remember it more fondly from is the Beatles' second album. The original cover of this, and I think a BBC version or two, fucking rock. It was compact. It was organic. It was quick. They were just they were still working up a sweat even in studio. Yeah. This one felt your showbiz pizza thing was right fucking on because this one, if I had taken written notes for this flaccid is the word that i would have used they take one of the great rock and roll songs one of the great chuck berry songs and one of the great beatle covers of all time and turn it into like a dean martin telethon not dean martin who did the telethons oh jimmy jerry lewis jimmy nicholas jerry lewis in the beatles on tour while ringo's sick um yeah, I, it, this one is disturbing that you've got you got Clapton and George Harrison farting over one of the great rock and roll songs of all time. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we're actually pretty in agreement on most everything here. Yeah, I, it was a much better record than I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be more like Showbiz Pizza on every track, but uh, it was it was good. And I was really impressed with the, the song, the choices. While I don't have the numbers in front of me, Tony, and this is like a, this is an original copy. They've since reissued it. This I was just buying all, even though I wasn't really listening to a ton of records in this era. I still bought the vinyl for the collection. Must collect all the records. Uh, so this, uh, what I'll tell you, this cover, which has a weird kind of, kind of textured, uh, yeah, that's it exactly. That's the back cover. Uh, this album, despite having George Harrison, Eric Clapton, barely sold because the cover was misleading. 
the Japanese writing appealed to nobody. It was yeah. just entering the early 90s when this kind of rock, the kind of 89 verse we talked about of the classic rock band resurgence was ebbing because you have Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Dinosaur Jr., uh, Green Day. Yeah. So this kind of shit wasn't a high move product anyway. I believe it is one of the true lost solo Beatles albums. And that's, you know, isn't it a pity? It's true. I feel like it's been overlooked because it came out in an era that wasn't recognizing this music in a package that couldn't sell. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Bad timing, man. But I'm glad it, I'm glad it exists. It's a good record. Um, and thanks for turning me on to it, man. Yeah, man. <laughs> I, I'm it's again this this solo is weird with me like uh, I'm not gonna put this above Revolver I'm not gonna put this above no. Abbey Road but there is a place in my heart from real time that is cool that someone who's just as deep with the Beatles stuff who didn't get this real time also understands and this is the last we'll ever have of George Harrison live there, yeah. I mean, it, had he lived, you better believe there would have been a big world tour. Maybe something that would have involved Paul and Ringo. I wouldn't doubt that. They Beatles love love and they love spirituality and they also fucking love money. I don't begrudge them for it. I'm 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 a I'm a socialist capitalist. I want everyone to have money, but I, I want to make money. You know, like it's yeah. I don't begrudge people were like, oh, George and John were hypocrites. They sang of imagine no this, no possessions, and give me love and and yet they had all these houses. Yeah, because when you fucking work your ass off when you're brilliant, you make a lot of money sometimes. I never begrudged that. You know. Now, now can I ask you, did you get have you gotten yeah. your um your Beatles uh, Christmas socks yet? I have the socks in all 16 colors. It came in a limited edition box for another 400. <laughs> Good man. I'm glad we're making that cheddar so we can I can't Improv, run buddy, baby. <laughs> well, I look forward to doing this again. And uh, Yo, Tom Bien, pal. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for turning me on to these records. Uh, yeah. And the next one, we'll tackle another random Beatle topic. And, and uh, <laughs> I was going to say, and fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, to anybody who has stuck with us for an hour and 20 minutes, and I mean this, go fuck yourself. <laughs> That's the payoff. Like Lingo, no autographs, <laughs> peace and love, fuck you. I'm warning you with peace and love, but I have too much to do. <laughs> All right, well, we'll see you around. <laughs> oh. Untitled Beatles Podcast. Like and subscribe. <laughs>